We're going to continue in our sermon series where we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit mentioned in, in Galatians 5, 22 to the first part of 23, where the Apostle Paul is, is, is talking about how to bear fruit, how to shine your light in this earth, how to be salt, how to, how to produce fruit, right? And so he says things like, uh, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we've been talking about how they help us live lives that glorify God. And so today I'd like to, we've been taking each of those uh, words one by one. And today I'd like to talk about faithfulness, faithfulness. So let us pray. Father, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for these beautiful, your beautiful children here, God. And uh, I just pray that your word, um, as usual, does not return void, Lord. I pray that you speak to and through me this morning and that we listen and live it out. In Jesus' name, amen. So in studying, in, in studying this, so maybe about a month and a half ago when I was given this, given the, the word uh, faithfulness, hey, Javi, are you going to preach on faithfulness as one of the fruits of the Spirit, one of the fruit of the Spirit? And uh, two weeks ago when I first started preparing the sermon, uh, I started to, you know, really, really think. Uh, obviously, I went to the commentaries, I went to all this stuff, but first, as I was taught in school, first, like, read the scripture, read the verses. And just like, you know, pray and, and what, is, what is God speaking to you? And so I started thinking about like, well, what is, what is the faith? What is the point of this? The point of this is that we need to know what is the faithfulness that God desires from us? So then that question just became, well, I guess that the big question of this whole scripture is what does biblical faithfulness look like? What does it look like? So that's going to be, that question is going to be asked. You're going to hear it a couple of times. What does biblical faithfulness look like? So in preparing my sermon, I, I started thinking about the word faithfulness. Again, what exactly is faithfulness? And then when I, uh, I, I found out that, you know, it's a Hebrew word that means steadfastness. It means firmness and it means fidelity. Okay, sounds good. And then I started thinking a little bit more, like as, as you know, just kind of mulling it over and praying about it. And I said, well, what is the opposite of faithfulness? What is the faithful, uh, opposite of faithfulness? Dis, it's, so it's disloyal. It's, it's uh, wishy-washy, so not firm, not being uh, firm. And it's backbiting. So if you don't know what backbiting means, it's when somebody sneaks up behind you and bites you on the back. They bite you on the back. Jeff, it's not, it's, I'm just joking, it's a joke. Yeah, yeah. I'm kidding, it's, it's malicious talk about somebody that's not really there, right? that's not there to defend themselves. So it's, you know, gossip, it's slander, it's, it's all these things. Um, not, not the other stuff, yeah. Oh, Jeff, God loves you. So, so then I started thinking about this and I was like, wow, Backbite. I got stuck on that word backbiting. And I'm like, can you imagine if it really meant what Jeff thinks it really means? <laughs> can you imagine? I can just like picture myself walking by Stachi's Pizza, heading to church, and then somebody <laughs> and bites me on the back. And I was like, wow, that is that that would be rude, right? Because it's like, hey, if you're gonna if you're gonna bite me, 
bite me in my face, right? Like bite me where I can see you, not behind my back. I started thinking about all this stuff. And then I started thinking about vampires. <laughs> I started thinking about vampires and, and then I was like, you know what? Thank God that vampires aren't real. Right? <laughs> okay. So they're not, I'm not gonna ask Jeff, because I know what he thinks. And, and then I started thinking about some of the vampire movies that I started, that I was watching as I was, when I was a kid. Um, I wasn't too young, I was like seven, right? And then I started thinking about how I couldn't sleep at night after watching these vampire movies. And then I kept thinking about vampires, and then I couldn't sleep at night two weeks ago, thinking about vampires in these movies that I watched when I was a kid. And then I started preaching this morning, about seven minutes ago, and then some people were wondering, where is he going with this? Right? And then I started talking about backbiting, and I made a joke about it, and everyone laughed. Every single one of you laughed. Maybe not. And then Jeff just stood up out of nowhere in the service. He stood up and he just wrote me a check for $5,000 just because. Just because. But before that, he said, What I said. <laughs> I'm trying to go with you. <laughs> He's still thinking about backbiting. And then, and then I started to wonder, I started to wonder, how did I go from, from thinking about faithfulness to vampires? How did I go from, from faithfulness and ended up with vampires? I got distracted. I got distracted in preparing my sermon. And then I said, you know what? Man, the faithfulness that God desires from us is one that remains unwavering, stays focused, and does not get distracted. People with, with, with the best intentions desire to remain faithful, but what happens is that they get distracted, right? And then that distraction leads into temptation, and that temptation leads into sin, to unfaithfulness. And so I said, when? So then what does biblical faithfulness look like? There's that question again. Some of us have a hard time with this word, faithfulness. Because the people that have been entrusted to our care, the people that, that promised to love us, the, the people that said they, they would uh, support us, that they would say, I'm going to protect you, people that, that, made, that promised us things, who looked us in the eyes and said, I love you, you are safe with me, I will never hurt you, ended up doing all those things. They ended up being unfaithful to us. Or they used our faithfulness to their advantage, causing hurts, causing scars in our lives, and a distrust in anyone ever promising love, promising faithfulness ever again. And this includes, this, this includes friends, this includes family, spouses, this includes uh, um, um, family members, this includes fathers as well. Some of us have a hard time faithfulness, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. I've never seen that example in my life from another human being. It's hard to trust promises of faithfulness. It's hard to trust people. It's hard to trust people. So then what does biblical faithfulness look like? Well, 
Who better to model faithfulness for us than God himself? And that's exactly what Paul is saying in this scripture. So let's take a, take a look what, what uh, uh, Tim read for us this, mor this morning, just a few minutes ago, is part of a letter written by the Apostle Paul to his disciple Timothy. And Paul was in prison, his second time in prison at the time that he wrote this, and he was close to his last days here on earth. And I love the way Paul writes because he was, he always, he felt like, and it was with good reason, that he was going to be killed any moment. There were attempts on his life uh, countless times, being shipwrecked, being left for dead after being stoned to death. Surviving that, being in prison, now this is his second time. So death was always around the corner for Paul. So whenever he wrote or spoke or preached, and I can imagine when he had conversations with some of his disciples, there was a sense of urgency. Like, hey, these if there's if I'm never gonna see you again, these are like my words have to carry a lot of weight. And so he starts off this chapter by using some analogies for Timothy, his disciple. And he goes from, he starts with good soldier analogy. So if you read that whole chapter, he, he starts talking about what a good soldier does. And then he starts talking about, he says, all right, uh, the good soldiers do this. Uh, a good athlete, right? So he goes into a good athlete analogy. And then he goes to a good farmer analogy. Timothy, are you getting this? I'm using all these different analogies. One of them's got to hit home. And you know what? To help Timothy bear the fruit of faithfulness, because he doesn't know if these are going to be his last words, Right? That to get uh, Timothy to remember to bear the fruit of faithfulness that Jesus desires for him to bear, he says, uh, the kind of faithfulness that remains unwavering, the kind of faithfulness that stays focused, the kind of faithfulness that doesn't get distracted. He says, he, he, he points out to God's faithfulness here. So he doesn't use humans. He doesn't use people. Right? It's a lot of us here are like, well, Point to one truly faithful person, and I'll find 20 flaws in that person. So Paul points out God's faithfulness here in 2 Timothy 2, 11 to 13. And then he starts saying, if we died with him, talking about the Lord here. If we died with him, this means conversion, this means baptism. If we died with him, we will also live with him. So now there's a, a reciprocal and conditional promise. If we die with him, we will also live with him. So, so somebody say reciprocal. Say, say reciprocal. Reciprocal. And a condition. So reciprocal meaning done in return. Okay? And then he goes on. He says, if we endure, if we remain, if we stay focused, don't get distracted. Right? We will also reign with him. So now that here's another reciprocal and conditional statement. If we disown him, this is apostasy, this is completely rejecting, like I know you are a Lord, but you are not my Lord, I don't want anything to, to do with, with you. So an intentional rejection of the Lord. If we disown him, he will also disown us. Another reciprocal and conditional statement, another promise. And then another one, he says, if we are faithless, if, if we are unfaithful to God, if we are faithless, he, remains faithful for he cannot disown himself so there's no reciprocal or conditional promise here just a promise if you are unfaithful after hearing all these oh, if we do this that's going to happen if we do this oh this bad is going to happen if we do endure this good and then and I tell my kids all the time it's like if you do good things good things happen if you do bad things 
Bad things happen, right? So there's like conditional things. And so all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he says, if you are unfaithful to me. And it's like, okay, here we go. Going to burn in hell. What's, what's going to happen to me? I will remain faithful. What? For God cannot disown himself. No reciprocal or conditional statement here or promise. Just a promise to you. Promise of God's faithfulness toward us, regardless of our unfaithfulness. Now, that's the truth, right? But what does it look like? What does it look like? So here's what, it's, what it looks like. We'll, we'll go all the way back to one of the earliest promises from God in one of the uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, fifth, the fifth book of the Bible, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 7, verse 9. It says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. This is a promise of his faithfulness to his people who do not reject him, do not disown him. So then what happened from there? What happened to humanity from there? God's people, the Israelites, his chosen people, they became unfaithful to God by serving other gods, that's idolatry, by sin with sinfulness, human sacrifices, materialism, secularism, you name it. They fell further and further away from God. And because God always viewed his people, his chosen people, as his bride, as his wife, as an analogy, okay? He viewed these things as spiritual adultery. He's like, you guys broke the very first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. You broke the first one. I had nine other ones, and you couldn't even get past the first one. So about 750 years before Jesus is born, before Jesus is born, all right, so you, we, we're in the fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy, and then all these things happen, and people continue to remain unfaithful. And a lot of it, really, if you look at it, is, is kind of like they're... Um, it starts off innocently. It's like, yes, Lord, we trust you. Look at this land. Look at those shiny lights. Wow, this is really cool. They get what? They get distracted. And so 750 years before Jesus is born, all the way into in the book of Hosea, a prophet of God, God tells this prophet Hosea, this prophet, this preacher, he tells him to marry a promiscuous woman. He's telling him to, he says, go and marry a, this prostitute. Okay. And this prostitute's name was Gomer. G-O-M-E-R. Don't forget it. And they have three children. They have three children to get together. She continues with her lifestyle of promiscuity. And then she leaves her, her husband. She leaves Hosea. And she returns to her former life as a prostitute. Despite Hosea's efforts to try and keep her, to try and please her, to, to keep her from leaving him. Okay? And then God tells Hosea. He says, go. Speaking directly to Hosea, go. Show love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Go, Hosea. Go find your wife. So Hosea has got to go. And, and Now, in these days, like, people knew everybody's business. Okay? It's like living in a small town, like in, in Puerto Rico. You know where, where our family's from. If you sneeze, everybody's going to say, bless you. Right? Like, and you're, you're in your bedroom at night. Like, people know everybody's business. 
So everybody knew Hosea's business at this time. He knew who she was. He knew what she's doing right now. They probably know, like, man, look, look at Hosea. Like, unbelievable. Like, I can't believe what has happened. So go and find her. Go show love to her. So Hosea's got to go. He's got to go and find Gomer, his wife, and then he's got to love her. In other words, he's got to forgive her. He's got to take her back. Can you imagine the embarrassment? Everybody knows. Everybody knows. And now this guy's going to go and get her back? Imagine the places he's got to go to find her. Imagine the dark alleys, right? Imagine the, the buildings or the homes that he has to walk through. Imagine what he's got to step over and everything to go and find his wife. Imagine that. Imagine people mocking him on the way. Just imagine that for a second. And then Hosea finds her. He finds her and then he does something that's just unbelievable to me. He buys her back. He buys her back. He's buying back someone who was already pledged to be his and he was pledged to be hers. To be somebody who pledged to be faithful to him but surely wasn't. Can you imagine that exchange for a second? Imagine that. There she is. Come, come with me. Uh, excuse me. Mm -mm. No, no, no. Not like that. She's my property now. She's my property. And actually, yeah, you can't have her. So if you want her back, you got to buy her back. How much? Can you imagine that? X amount, fine. Now, I don't know if, if, if he overpaid for her. I don't know if he underpaid. I don't know. But the fact that he went out and was buying her back, and, and, and the exchange must have been like, this, that's his wife. What a sucker, right? What an idiot. Buying back someone who was already his. Taking back something, because that's probably how they referred to her, right? As somebody less than a person. Something that's washed up, that's damaged, used up. Somebody or something that is completely worthless. And he's buying her back. You think Hosea cares at that point? He's got his wife. And imagine Gomer. Hosea, please, like, I'm not worthy. Just let me here to die. Leave me here. This is the, the life that I chose. I, I've failed you so many times. I'm so sorry. I'm not worthy. Just forget about me. But Hosea tells her, you are to live with me. And this is scripture. He says, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. And I will behave the same way toward you. In other words, Gomer, I just want your faithfulness. But I'm, I'm not worthy, Jose. I, I'm not, not worth it. You are my Gomer. You are my wife. You are my G-O-M-E-R. Don't forget it. Because I haven't forgotten about you. And I never will. This entire story mirrors our story. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. And how many times are we unfaithful to God? Including myself. How many times has all of humanity been unfaithful to God through distractions, temptations, by choice, and he remains faithful? God bought you back. God sent his son Jesus to buy back what was already his. He created us. And Jesus will continue to pursue, pursue you even though you are unfaithful. And he'll do it time and time and time and time and time and time again. 
He will seek you out even when you're distracted, even when you mess up and you are unfaithful. Regardless of the places that he has to go to, regardless if he's got to get his feet and his hands dirty, regardless of the things he has to see on the path to getting you back, regardless of the price, regardless of what you've done in your life, it doesn't matter. You are my J-A-V-I-E-R. Don't forget it because I haven't and I will never forget you. You are my M-A-C. I will never forget you. You are my J-E-F-F. Never forget you. You are my A-N-T-H-O-N-Y. I will never forget you. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. You are my C-A-R-L-O. I can't do everyone here because it's just a lot of people. So just imagine I, imagine we had a... God's people from the very beginning have gotten distracted after they pledged faithfulness to God. The Israelites in the book of Hosea were identifying God, this is what happened, with another God, with a false God, Baal. And it started off as a distraction because the, the word Baal, the name Baal just really means master. So they were like, master, okay. And then all of a sudden they started to, uh, it started innocently, but they, and, and they started getting distracted by the nice shiny objects around in that, in that town, by the, uh, uh, what that foreign land had provided. And then they ended up from, say, from just calling somebody by their name, Master Baal, right? They started, ended up worshiping him. They started, they continued doing human sacrifices. Your distracted unfaithfulness can never detract his faithfulness, ever, no matter how hard you try. You didn't do something to earn his faithfulness, so you can't do something for him to not be faithful to you. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God's faithfulness, again, is never distracted. You are the apple of his eye. You are way too important for him. You're too valuable. You are worth so much more than you can ever realize, believe, or even accept. So yeah, maybe somebody in your life let you down. Maybe you've been hurt by people in the past. Maybe people that promised faithfulness to you done lied, right? Or done did it again. Or they use your faithfulness. So faithfulness is a foreign concept to you. But trust, trust that God is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do. And he says he will always Always remain faithful. And if that's not enough of an example for you, there's a, a story of uh, the prodigal God. Really quick, a young son says, God, uh, uh, sorry, Father, you are, you are no good to me alive. I just want the inheritance money, but you're not dying yet. You're not, you're, you're pretty, you've got a pretty clean bill of health. I want, just give me my money. In other words, your, your death is worth more than, to me than your life. I just want to go. I just want to go. His father agrees, he leaves, spends, wastes all his money, okay, doing like just not uh, uh, wasting away his money. He ends up getting a job feeding pigs and he's like, man, I'm so hungry. I, I think I'm gonna eat some of that food too. And then he stops. I love, I love this part in the Bible where it says, he, when he, he came to his senses, right? He came to his senses and he's like, what am I doing? I had it so good with my father. And now, and now look at what I am on my hands and knees. I don't know if he was eating or he was about to eat all that stuff that the pigs were eating. And then he says, I gotta go back home. 
I got to go back. So he, he starts his journey back home and he's rehearsing his speech. God, I, I'm sorry, I'm worthy. No, is that the right pitch? Should I be more remorseful? Should I have tears in my eyes? I, I, like, he's not going to take me back. What I've done to him, what I've, what I've said to him, I've, I've been so unfaithful to my own father. I've backslidden. So, I've gone so far away from who I was, who God wanted me to be. It's, I've gone too far. And then he, start, he starts home. His father is out, looking out. And he sees his son. And then his son probably sees him. And he's like, uh-oh, I better get my speech right. He's, you know, I, once, once I get there. But guess what? You don't have to get there. Because once his father saw him, he bolted. He ran out to get his son. Throws his arms around his neck, the Bible says. Starts kissing him. And the son does his speech. He does his whole speech. Father, I, forgive me. I have sinned against you. I am wrong. I am unworthy. He does this, the same thing Gomer probably did. You probably shouldn't take me back, but I'm so, I humbly repent. And the father says, no. Just kidding. He says, we're going to have a party. Hey, put a ring around his finger. Let's throw a robe over him. Let's get some... Some, some good food going. We're going to have a party because my son was lost and now he's found. My son has come back home. In other words, yeah, 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 yeah. Look, I'm just happy to have you here. I don't need this speech. I don't need any of that. You've come back to me. That is the love of a father. Maybe a concept that is foreign to you. Maybe you, you don't have a father, didn't grow up with one. Or maybe you had a father and, and then he was gone for different reasons. So even Father's Day might be meaningless to you. But that is the love of God the Father. Let's always look at Him as the example. He is who He says He is. He will do what He says He will do. That is the love of God the Father. A, a God, a Father that yearns for you. That even when you've done messed up again, he, if you just turn, and the Bible says so many times, turn, turn to God, turn and look to God. He'll meet you halfway. You don't have to walk all the way back. Even though you feel like you're all the way over there, you just got to turn. He will run to you. He just wants to know that you love him. He just wants to know that you, you want him too, that you are not rejecting him. He remains faithful. And that, this whole thing, this whole sermon is just the long answer to the question, what does biblical faithfulness look like? That's what it looks like. And there's plenty more examples in the Bible. So now that you know what it looks like, go out and live that fruitful life that he desires for you to live and glorify God. In other words, let that faithfulness be reciprocal. There's that word again, right? Reciprocal. Reciprocate the faithfulness, that faithfulness to God. Do the same in return and you will be bearing fruit. The world is full of distractions. We all know that. It's easy to go from faithfulness to vampires in this world. To go from faithfulness to the enemy, right? To go from, from faithfulness to, to evil in this world. To sinfulness. To life-sucking decisions in your life. But remember God's faithfulness to you. That is F-A-I-T-H-F-U-L-N-E-S-S. -S. Don't forget it. God bless you.